The fastest and one of the biggest on your farming programme this week, two very different machines. We're now at 790 horsepower versus 647 that the 9 was. It's really opening the, the market's eyes in a big, big way. Half of the bits here are from a standard machine. You know, it'll still go out and we could plough a field with it if we wanted to. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Hello, more on the world's fastest tractor and the new Fence Ideal T10 combine in a short while. First, the Association of Independent Crop Consultants, AICC, had its annual conference this week. And of course, its chairman is our own crop doctor, Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. How was the conference, Sean? Morning. Yes, good morning, Sean. It's been a very, very busy week, if I'm honest. I haven't been out on farm. I went out on Friday walking fields. Um, but I went down Monday morning to Whittlebury, out near Silverstone there, There's a large event centre down there, Whittlebury Hall, and we have to have that because we've 262 members of the Association of Independent Crop Consultants here in the UK, and we look after close to... Uh, 50% of the arable advice market in the UK as a whole. 4,667,000 hectares of land and the Association of Independent Crop Consultants members alone look after just over 2,159,000 hectares and we account for about 96% of the independent sector. So we're a big voice but because we sell nothing but advice, all we're interested in is the facts. We're not interested in sales, we're interested in what these products are capable of doing what our options are, what is out there in the market to help us, whether they be up biological chemicals or whether it's biochemistry, they'll call it. We want to know about the trace elements, we want to know about the fertilizers, we want to know about all of these things, the biostimulants. So we have three full technical days to discuss all of that. We go through the AICC trials, we have a massive network of trials across the entire UK, which we then look at. Um, with members only seeing the results, warts and all, everything's in there with the new chemistry, the old chemistry, chemistry which is three or four years away from even hitting something close to the market. All of these things are in the AICC trials. So we look at all of that data so we know where we are. And then we have full sessions on day. I mean, we're starting at seven in the morning. We're finishing at seven or eight o'clock in the evening. And it's absolutely packed with an hour's break for lunch. And we have 10 minutes here and there for coffee. But we're talking to the world's experts. We have the world's innovators and experts coming to talk to us, the world's best. We have people from all over Europe coming to talk to us. We had our final speaker on the last day. For example, there's a chap called David Zarrock who goes on Twitter as the riskmonger because David deals in facts and he's trying to help us as an industry understand how the NGOs and those that are attacking us, how their minds work and what they're trying to achieve. And ultimately, it came out of that that they are weaponizing the word fear because the general public are absolutely convinced that these people are telling absolute truth that within 10 years, farming is finished and there won't be any food unless we start producing goop in tankers to replace farming which is absolute nonsense we know that but weaponizing that word fear people are terrified if they think that is absolute fact i can assure you that it isn't farming will definitely be here in 10 years time in 100 years time we may do things slightly differently but ultimately 
farming is here to stay. And the main reason for that is the other force and the other uh, sort of aspect of our conference, which was looking at the whole business of emissions and our effect on the global warming and the greenhouse gases. And when you think there are three main greenhouse gases, I've talked about them before, carbon dioxide, nitrous oxide and methane. Methane generally comes out of the livestock side. So we concentrated on carbon dioxide and nitrous oxide emissions. Now, carbon dioxide accounts for around 88% of all of our greenhouse gas emissions. We know that. Carbon dioxide doesn't just come from farming. Remember that farming, every plant in the field, is actually using and trying to store carbon. So it's using carbon dioxide in the process of transpiration and respiration. It will go in carbon dioxide to oxygen and oxygen back to carbon dioxide. So farming and every single plant and every grass on every verge and every hedge and every tree, all of those things, every crop in every field, are doing that job. So they're benefiting us. Nitrous oxide is a much, much bigger problem. Problem. More damaging to the ozone layer is nitrous oxide, and nitrous oxide 300 times more damaging as a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. Now, the thing with nitrous oxide is that it is a problem on any land which has nitrates in it. And when you consider that is not just conventionally managed farmland, because lightning itself, just by the process of lightning, will put nitrates into the soil to the tune of around 10 million tonnes of nitrogen every single year from lightning strikes that then gets washed in by water. So nitrates are a natural thing which live in our soil. Denitrification happens in all soils, whether it's organic or cultivated, whether it's grassland, national parkland, whether it's your lawn, your garden or farmed land, organically or conventionally, as I said. Because as soon as you get waterlogged soils, anaerobic conditions, the clever little denitrifying bacteria which live in the soil who can't access oxygen because it's waterlogged. So if you imagine a bowl of water, you can't get oxygen out of that water unless you're a fish. Denitrifying bacteria use the nitrate, which is NO3, three parts of oxygen to every one of nitrogen, and they strip out that oxygen, and that's where they get the oxygen from. What that does is it releases nitrous oxide as N2O gas and nitrogen gas. Nitrogen gas is not a greenhouse gas, nitrous oxide is. So it's a natural process. So what we were doing was understanding how we can manage our emissions as an industry. We're already doing a lot, but we learned an awful lot as to how we can help farmers and farming to manage those emissions more efficiently going forward. And we also looked at IPM and how we understand that unless the agronomist and the farmer have the same mindset that if they don't see something, they will not spray, which is the mindset I try to adopt, you know, IPM won't work unless we have that mentality to trust our instincts and accept we're going to make mistakes. So a fascinating conference all around. I'm missing it already. I've learned so much and I'm G'd up. What I do know is that the solution to the wet fields is not going to be found in a can. There will be many, many snake oil salesmen coming out saying this product will solve all your problems. Miracle in a can. It won't. Time is the thing that will solve that. We will get the top of these fields dry to enable us to drill at some point. The stuff a little bit lower down is going to take far, far longer. The more organic matter we've got in, the more, you know, the more worms we have, the more we can encourage all of that, the more we can get organic matter, poultry manures, livestock manures into the soil, the more we will help that. As far as agronomy goes this week, Sean, still a bit too wet to do anything with the wet we've just had. Just remember, the one thing you don't want to do is go chucking massive doses of nitrogen on as soon as you can travel. 20 or 30 kilos about as much as you want to be doing while it's wet. Otherwise, you're going to get leaching 
and that's what you're trying to avoid so don't waste your money still plenty of time it's still early days there's still plenty of winter we could yet get soil temperatures plenty low enough for you to be thinking about big big doses of nitrogen you've only got till the end of this month by the way to get your pyritamide on good morning let's see what the next seven day brings sean yeah, thanks for that. Thank you, Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services and, of course, Chairman of the Association of Independent Crop Consultants, which held its conference this week. Of course, last week it was the Oxford Farming Conference and among the speakers was Henry Dimbleby, National Food Strategy Lead at DEFRA, co-founder of the Lyon restaurant chain. He uh, debated the need to create a food system that we could be proud to leave our children as well as the need for a common vision when it comes to the UK's food strategy. Well, it's a subject close to agriculture chaplain Alan Robson's heart, isn't it, Alan? Yeah, I think it's really important. If we don't get the food strategy right, we can't get the agricultural bill right, because it all connects to not just producing a commodity, inverted commas, but we're producing food for the health of the nation. And I think that's a very important link that uh, Henry Dimbleby was involved with. Uh, The chair of that report was the head of Barclays Bank, uh, Sir Ian Cheshire. And it was, for me, a very good report about saying we really have to rethink uh, how we're producing our food so it's not just for the health of the nation, but it's almost like the health of our democracy. If we get our food systems right and that connection to everything right, then um, generally communities work, will work better. Uh, if we can see each other um, uh, around our tables, not just you know buying a thing in a bit of clink film on a, a tray out of a supermarket, but that, that it's an actual living thing, you know, our vegetables are living things, um, then I think that's what Henry Dimbleby and hopefully a new team of DEFRA are beginning to explore. Now, that's a bit of a mind shift for the farming community, or is it? Because there's a lot, lot of people in the farming community who are very well aware that we we really do need to look after our soils better. We need to look after our waterways better, our chalk streams better. We need to make those connections. And a lot of people have been doing that for all their farming careers. And it's just getting that message out there that counteracts you know the the mombio message of catastrophe and and, and apocalypse um, because there are people who are counteracting that message so yeah the oxford farming conference was an interesting discussion which has to be deeper and wider and you know connecting to a lot of other disciplines as well it feels like this, it's almost the start of the discussion, but really we should be much further down this road now, shouldn't we? Is it, have we started too late? Somebody asked me that question the other day, and no, I, I don't think we have. I think there is enough um, thinking, enough knowledge, enough science and poetry uh, to begin to make it all work. Um but it needs for people to get out of their comfort zones uh, and bring their knowledge, their intuitive knowledge as well as their strong head knowledge, and say, how do we make ecology, producing food, and economy, 
and social cohesion all work together because it works together naturally anyway when we respect it. Now, this isn't the agricultural chaplain going all tree-huggy here. Uh, this is what I've actually felt and understood, I think, intuitively for a long time. But I think as you watch what's happening in Australia and India and Latin America and you know, you see that other countries are beginning to understand better. Colombia has a very vibrant food system. I was at the Dutch embassy before Christmas and their agricultural bill is very much about how do you make it a, a virtuous circle of food production feeding our communities and how does it affect our living together. Uh, they're trying to make it unified, recognising that it's going to be a difficult journey because we've, we've gone down a, a, a one-line way of thinking where we meet, need a multi-variety of ways of working and thinking and respecting very differing views but coming to a consensus. That's agricultural chaplain, the Reverend Canon Alan Robson. Uh, we touched briefly there on the agriculture bill, as indeed we did last week here on the farming programme. On Thursday, that bill returned to Parliament, and uh, as we thought, as well as phasing out direct payments, replacing it with a new method based on the environment. There were new measures in there as well, notably uh, a requirement for the government to regularly report on food security to Parliament. Soil quality is another measure in the bill with a pledge to help farmers protect and improve soils. Again, an issue we've discussed many times before here on the programme. Uh, many are welcoming what they see as improvements to the bill, taking on board some of the previous lobbying. I know some of you are spending the weekend going through the finer details of that agriculture bill itself, and will have more reaction to it as it passes through Parliament over the next few weeks. It's the farming programme, though after Channel 4's programme in the week, I did briefly consider renaming ourselves How to Steal Listeners and Influence People, uh, but I rapidly decided against it. Uh, Kit Dickinson is with us from Openfield. Is that grain going for a steal this week, Kit? Uh, no, not at the moment. Oh. Price, prices are rising. We, uh, we've had a good start to the week uh, with prices rising by £3.45p. This was due to a drop in currency and an inch of rain last week, meaning that drilling has been delayed again. Overnight Wednesday and Thursday saw the price reduce after a good start on the back of currency. This week, the US-China trade agreement was signed. We are still very short of detail, but we think this is a step in the right direction at the moment. It goes without saying there is still much uncertainty over next year's crop size and Brexit is still to come. Winter wheat drilling continues at a snail's pace and we still have a window of opportunity, although every day that is getting smaller. On Thursday we saw a short summary of the agricultural policy released, but there is far more detail to come. Moving on to all-seed rape, again the start of the week it was certainly the time for OSR, with large gains reaching £349 ex the farm at the highest point. It is not surprising that on the back of this price rise a large amount of all-seed rape came to the market in a short space of time. On Wednesday evening, the price of all-seed rape started to drop and closed £7 down and continued to drop on Thursday morning. There was little fresh news on barley this week and it traded up with wheat and the highs reached 130 x the farm gate. Premiums are still under pressure from a large crop and an unknown area of spring crop being drilled. 
Molsters are still buying, although not in large quantities. This could all change after we have the Brexit deal and when we have a clearer view of what will be drilled this spring. The feed bead market remains supported by short shorts into the ports and the main focus will be on a big spring campaign. Exacerbated by the lack of farm gate selling and increasing the middle market will bid for further fresh export news and demand from Egypt. With the pending stoppage of Sudanese imports, the UK has passed the shipping deadline and is concentrating on Egypt. However, as noted in the above paragraph, there are significant volumes heading for North Africa as feed. This has significantly depreciated premiums and the top quality beans are now not desired. Overall, the pulse market plods into the new year with little liquidity or trading activity. Positivity remains that after the spring drilling window, a large uncommitted balance will come to the market, allowing the ability to start trading again. Moving on to prices this week. Feed wheat for January is 148 to 150. For March, 150 to 152. And for May, 152 to 154. November new crop, 159 to 161. And milling premiums are still circa £20. Oil seed rape has taken a drop, as I said earlier, to 327 to 329 for January, March 330 to 332, May 332 to 334. Limited prices going forward after that. Feed barley for January is 119 to 121, for March increasing slightly to 127 to 129, May 127 to 129 again, with limited carry towards the end of the season. November 126 to 128, and malting premiums are still poor at currently five to eight pounds. Thank you. The prices and news from Open Field from Kit Dickinson there. Now you might remember at the end of harvest last year, we visited Lincolnshire Farm Products in Spalding. They'd purchased not one but two of the Fent Ideal 9T. I described it as a beast of a combine at the time. Well, at Lammer, I saw the 10T. So naturally, ask Simon Hewitt at Fen UK more about it. With the 10T, we've got an increase in horsepower, so we're now at 790 horsepower versus 647 that the 9 was. Um, so this is giving us uh, sort of 15 to 20% more output with um, increased sieve area inside and the, and the processing unit. We've maintained market-leading capacity on tank capacity and also unload auger at 210 litres a second. It's, it's a huge machine, very fuel efficient though. They are, yes, yes. Um, the the power, the engine itself is a man engine, um, but the, one of the main ways we've increased efficiency on all of the range of the ideal combines is a lot of it's shaft driven, so you're not losing horsepower through belts and pulleys and everything, so shaft driven's uh, a lot more efficient throughout the whole unit, yeah. And it certainly looks impressive when you walk into the hall here at Lama, you know, people are stopping and looking at it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. There's been a lot of uptake on it, We uh, a, a lot of interest. It's really opening the, the market's eyes um, in a big, big way. You know, there's uh, a lot of ground to cover and there's competition out there. However, the way that the, the market is accepting the um, ideal combine has been fantastic. And there's a lot of people that are up for a change, which is great. And, and with the turn of the year, it feels like we've almost turned a corner and there's a, a fresh optimism. Are you finding that? 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think now there's a few things out the way that were hanging over us last year. Um, obviously, the, the weather's always a, a big point. Um, hopefully, we'll start to see some, some dry ground come and uh, people can get some seed in the ground. But I think overall, the mo- motivation within the market is upbeat uh, people do seem to have some sort of morale and uh, wanting to keep their farm as a business um, which is very important and uh, yeah it'd be interesting to see what 2020 brings us and not to say that, that there aren't tough times now and there won't be but hopefully we can see a way through it and i guess come harvest we'll be seeing the tenty out trialing i mean you'd like to see some out in the field working but i guess they'll be out there showing just what they can do yeah i mean with the tent itself looking for resale in 2021 so there'll be hopefully lots of opportunities where we can get a customer in front of a 10 but at the moment you hopefully will see a lot more of the seven eights and nines out in the field and showing uh, how well they can go and get a lot more good testimonials Simon Hewitt there at Fend UK, starting with a discussion on the ideal 10T, an even bigger beast of a combine. Now, also at Lama, and another machine we discussed last November here on the programme was the world's fastest tractor. Built by the team at JCB, it featured on TV with Guy Martin breaking the speed record. But what of the tractor itself? Alex Skittery was the project manager for it. I mean, the aim's always been make a tractor that goes 150 miles an hour. And, and the key thing is, it's still got to be a tractor. We could have quite easily got uh, a race car, put a tractor bonnet on it and some bigger wheels and, and called it a tractor. But half of the bits here are from a standard machine. Um, so we really have tried to keep it an agricultural machine. You know, it'll still go out and we could plough a field with it if we wanted to. And it, I mean, it's a feat of engineering work, really, I guess. You're making it sound very easy, but I imagine it was quite hard to get it to the right speed to get it there. Yeah, I mean, it, it, we've been working on it for just over a year now. Um, and, yeah, we completed the record in October last year. team of about 10 quite young individuals. Average age of the team was 27. Um, so made up of apprentices, graduates, undergraduates, um, and myself, who's been at JSB for five years. And was it just a, you know, an idea over a, a cup at JCB? Did someone sit down and say, why don't we try and break the record? Or? Yeah, we've always wanted to do something. I mean, we, we make a JCB called the Fast Track, which is our tractor project. And, you know, Top Gear went along and, and built what they call the tractor with the stig driving, um, which was actually just a pickup truck with some big wheels on. But anyway, we thought, well, we better do do the job properly. Um, so, yeah, Lord Bamford, the chap that owns and is, you know, his dad was the founder of JCB, said, right, I want you to do it. I want you to use a JCB engine. And yeah, here we are today. And it's pulling a lot of people in, having a having a look at it. Obviously, I mean, is that is that part of the aim? It's promoting the JCB bankers. I, I can't see many of our listeners wanting to get one of these on the farm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're not up for sale, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, it's all about promoting the brand, you know, just showing what JCB is capable of, what we're willing to do, just to, to you know, just show the customers that, you know, we're, we're there. We want to make, make products that, that are interesting and that, that you guys want. We've talked before on the programme about trying to get that younger blood in, that new blood in, to uh, agriculture, to machinery. I guess this is another way of doing it, isn't it? It's, it's, it might spark in someone's mind, actually. That sounds like fun. I want to get involved. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's great. There's so many kids clambering all over it and, and, you know, they're just really interested and that's what it's all about. If 
one of these guys decides actually I want to or girls want oh, I want to become an engineer after seeing that fast tractor well perfect job done that's, that's what it's all about have you had a go yourself I have I went 97 miles an hour in it so I wish I'd just gone got just into those triple yeah. figures but um yeah, who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll probably have it going again one day. So. And what does it feel like when you're doing 97 in a tractor? What does that feel like? Well, I honestly didn't realise I was going 97. Right. It, it does just feel really smooth and planted, far better than the car I drive on the roads. <laughs> so what's next? After doing this, any other ideas in the pipeline that you can sort of hint about? I mean, we'd love someone to come along and, and break our Diesel Max car record. Um, I think there's a, a strong appetite for us to then do something with that. Or if anyone wants to come and beat the tractor project, well, yeah, we'll, we'll see what we can do. Now, there's a challenge. Alex Skittery there, project manager for the world's fastest tractor. Could you beat the record? Or maybe you've got an idea of something else which could get into the record books. Get in touch and I'll put you in touch with Alex. Uh, we haven't broken any weather records this week, though after last year's wet weather, that's maybe no bad thing. Uh, what of the weather week ahead? The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, it looks like it's going to be a relatively calm week ahead, actually. Plenty of sunshine today, tomorrow and Tuesday, with highs around 5 to 8 Celsius, average for this time of year. The winds from the west-northwest today, 5 to 10 miles an hour, then more from the west-southwest tomorrow, again 5 to 10 miles an hour, same on Tuesday as well. We will get some frosty mornings. Lows will generally be just above freezing overnight with light winds. Fog, therefore, could be an issue especially during the morning. It will cloud over as the week continues, but it should stay dry. Wind and rain possible for the latter half of the week, we'll see. For now, though, that is the forecast. It was Louth Tractor's open day in the week, beneath beautiful blue skies. Plenty of visitors as well, and we'll hear from some of those who are attending on next week's farming programme as I try and take the temperature of farming at the moment. Are we feeling slightly more optimistic since the turn of the year? The weather is certainly helping. We'll uh, find out together, you and I, next Sunday morning. Until then, take care.